Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build the best teams. And if you need to work on your team culture, or you want to invest in your leadership team, DM me on LinkedIn because I'd love to talk to you about our leadership and culture workshops that we're running with teams all around Australia right now. So message me, let's chat. Today on the show, we're doing a listener Q&A and I have a guest host in Claire Siever. Hey, Claire. Hi, it's good to be back. It's so good to have you back. And I just want to give you a little intro to the people who don't know you or haven't listened to your previous episode. Claire Sieber is the founder of Eating Your Cake 2, and she's a leadership and career coach, and she works with clients all around Australia and internationally, developing amazing leaders and teams. We're going to tackle some big questions today, Claire. We are. I'm looking forward to it. So I put out on the My Millennial Money Facebook community, who's got a listener question, and then we got a stack sent through. And so we're going to tackle them today. Let's get into it. Okay. Are you ready, Claire? Because I'm going to throw straight to you. (laughs) I am. I'm like slightly nervous about what is going to come my way. (laughs) All right. The first question is from Lachlan and it's a really good one. He says, best tips to work on the confidence muscle and improve, especially in relation to people skills and imposter syndrome. Ooh, good question. And confidence and imposter syndrome is definitely something I have dealt with myself many times over my career and even now in my business. I think I think the first thing I would say around improving confidence and managing imposter syndrome is to try to reframe them as being good things where you can because there are plenty of things that we do with confidence and without those little gremlin imposters popping up, right? Like we probably, we can, we, for most of us, I would say we drive a car and we feel pretty confident doing it. We probably ride a bike, we might swim, we eat food, we shower, and we do those with confidence because we've done them enough times. We have enough data around them to know that we can. And so I think when we don't feel as confident or our imposter kind of creeps in, it's usually because we're doing something that's a bit uncomfortable. And we also know that growth happens on the other side of that. So I think the first thing I would say around building that confidence muscle and navigating the imposters is to try to reframe them has been good things because they only ever creep up when your brain is a little bit uncomfortable and it's trying to keep you safe. So that would be the first thing, reframe the messages. The second thing I would say to help yourself is to build a brag book. If you haven't got one already, I mean, call it whatever you like. I like to call them brag books. And it's basically just a list that you keep somewhere, whether it's on your laptop, in your phone, of your achievements and your accomplishments along the way. And the beauty of a brag book is multiple things, but the two main ones that kind of come to mind for me are from a confidence building perspective, it's helping you 
collate more and more data and more and more evidence of all of the things that you have done before that you probably found really difficult at the time and you probably didn't feel that confident in. But secondly, when it comes to things like performance conversations with your manager or your team and you're sitting there thinking, oh God, what have I actually done? What have I achieved? You've already got it all there staring you back in the face. So that would be the kind of practical piece of advice I'd give is around having a brag book. The third piece I would give, and then I'll see what you've got because I bet you've got heaps of good advice too, Shelley. The third piece is I, I really like to imagine that I have debating team A and B in my mind. And debating team A's job is basically to derail me. So that is where all of those thoughts around like, who are you to do this? You can't do this. If you say that and you're wrong, you're going to look like an idiot. Like all of the all of those little voices that come up when I'm not feeling that confident. That's debating team A. Debating team B's job is to challenge the hell out of debating team A with questions like, well, how do you know that to be true? What evidence do you have is true? What data do you have that people think you're stupid or you're not capable or you don't deserve this role? And really deliberately use debating team B to challenge those thoughts. Because more often than not, when we start doing that, we're able to kind of go, hmm, actually, I don't have a huge basis for this. Then we tap into the evidence that we do have, which is that you can do hard things and you've got your brag book and your list to prove all of the hard things that you've done before. So those, there's a heaps more I could say, but I feel like those are kind of the three things that I would give as a starting point. Reframe what confidence and imposter syndrome are, build a brag book and engage debating team A and B in your mind. I love that debating team A and B. I've never thought about that concept, but back in high school, I was one of those like, you know, lame people that were on the debate team. And I remember like writing the rebuttals when someone would be talking on the other debate team the affirmative and I was the negative, all I'd be doing is scribbling down the rebuttals, like the arguments against what they were saying. And I love that concept. Like imagine every time you get that like automatic negative thought, we've talked about that on the podcast before, you, your number one job, Lachlan, is to write down what's the rebuttal? What's the argument against that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you see that as your job, then you're going to get proactive about going, you know what, my automatic negative thought is that I don't have what it takes, can't do it, not good enough. My rebuttal to that is I've done hard things before, I've learned from mistakes, I've learned through failure, I'm gutsy, I, I do have what it takes. If you do that on repeat, that becomes that muscle that you're building, which is what Lachlan's describing. The thing for me when it comes to confidence is confidence to me is something that develops over time. So I've tried to reframe this, especially like, since, you know, when I first started this podcast, I like, oh my gosh, like I remember Glenn who runs the group, My Millennial Money, he was originally the editor. So he would also edit the podcast. And when we started like, I don't know, nearly four years ago, we, we, we recorded our first one in like December, four years ago. And the first episode I ever did, I asked him to do like 59 micro edits of every single pause or um <laughs> or any time that I said something that I didn't like, like the tiniest little edits. And he was like, I'm going to do this one time and one time only. <laughs> I will edit that. But he, he was like so annoyed. He was like, what? Like just chill. Like you're going to get yeah. better. And I think for me, my big learning with confidence is confidence 
is often a byproduct of being courageous. So like courage comes before confidence, like the courage to do something you haven't done before comes before you're confident in it. Like it would be weird if your first time you ever do a podcast, you feel confident in it. That's probably delusion. Like if you mm-hmm. walk in and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got this and you've never done it before, like you're probably a little bit delusional. But if you walk in and you're like, I'm bold and gutsy and courageous, yeah, I'm going to learn stuff. But that skill to me, the skill and the muscle of courage before confidence is more important because then over time when you demonstrate, I'm going to do this again and again and again, and then I've recorded 200 podcast episodes, now I'm confident in it. But like, how do you exercise, Lachlan, the courageous muscle that's going to lead to you feeling confident in whatever skill it is that you're trying to build? Love that. Great advice. Okay, next question. Jeffrey asks, do you see a place for career or workplace transition counselling, not only for those who've gone through redundancies, but also those who may be leaving a toxic or stressful workplace so that they can actually thrive in their new roles and cast off toxic thinking from previous workplaces? Ooh, good question. I think there's definitely a place for that. And I mean, there's a huge amount in there. I I think there's definitely a I think there's a really important place for creating a safe space for people where they can go and have those kinds of conversations with someone who's skilled enough to support them through, and, and probably it sounds like to just navigate kind of where are they at, where might they think they want to go, and then what are some of the small steps that they can help them help themselves to get there. So I, I often get a lot of people who will reach out to me And they're like, I can't put my finger on it, but I feel stuck or something just doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm working at this organisation and there's just something in my gut that just feels strange, but I can't can't work out what it is. And often we'll kind of start excavating and it'll it'll often be that there's a values misalignment, but potentially that individual has never done work in that space for themselves before. And so they've entered an organisation where it feels, or it is, toxic for them or they're being expected to do behave to do actions that they don't really want to do and they're like this feels strange and then interestingly enough and you probably know this too Shelley like when you step back with people and you get them to define what's important to them and what their non-negotiables are and their values you realize just how different they are and that's such a beautiful conversation when it comes to career transitions because once you know that you can then start working out with that person and that, I mean, they know it in their minds. They just need you to hold the space for them. But you can then start working with them around like, well, what would great look like for you? And then the kind of practical pieces that need to come together to start taking action. But, yeah, I think there's definitely a space a space for that. And probably it would be good if there was a, a more obvious space for people to go to when they were feeling a little bit stuck like that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things in the question that Jeff's asked around To me, there's two different scenarios. There's the toxic workplace scenario. So if you're in a toxic workplace, you need to get out. But often what happens when you've been in a toxic workplace for a long time, you have started to believe and buy into some of the toxicity or as a byproduct of just being there, it's very contagious. Like that environment's really contagious. You start to feel down. You start to think, well, can I even go anywhere else? I feel really trapped here. You know, if you think about toxic relationships, it's kind of similar. So That to me is a distinct moment where we look at our values and how our values don't align with that business and really pinpoint what the problems are. 
And therefore, what types of organisations do you need to look for? And I want you to know if you're in a toxic workplace, that Adam Grant quote that I've bloody said so many times, but get out sooner. You need to leave a toxic workplace as soon as you can and sooner than you think. So just that's an aside. The redundancy one I reckon is slightly different because redundancy is often, it often comes as a surprise. It's often when you're in an environment where you're like, I'm really invested here and now this decision's been taken out of my hands. And I think it's really important in both of those scenarios to seek external advice, like get external support, but the support that you need will look different. So the support you need when removing yourself from a toxic environment is probably how do I leave as quickly as possible and how do I build my confidence to find the next right thing? Whereas when you've gone through redundancy, it's often confidence around this is not about me, this is about a role. This is not, because I think a lot of people look at a redundancy and they, they, and I totally uh, empathize with this, that feeling of, did I contribute to this in some way? Did I do something wrong? But redundancy is not about a person. It's always about a role. And I know there's exceptions to that when organizations do use redundancies in the wrong way, but that is the actual purpose of a redundancy is restructure about the, the position So I want you to work out how do I need to process this, the grief that comes with it, the shock, the pain, and then move forward and go, okay, I need to to get to a place where I can see that that isn't personal and then find that next thing and that next right move. But what's your take on the redundancy side? Because I think redundancy is one of the hardest things people have to go through in their career and it is really common, but there's a really, there's a stigma around it. And I hate that stigma because I think it really does cause us to question our own capability and skill. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and I've been, I've I've stared down the barrel of a redundancy myself before. And at the time, your confidence totally takes a hit. You start to panic a little bit because you're obviously like, I've got bills to pay. What if I don't, you know, what's next? I don't know what that looks like. So there's a whole roller coaster of of emotions that come with that. I like to think that the stigma around redundancy is a little better than what it used to be. I, I, I like to think that with, with everything that's happened over the last few years with COVID and the number of sort of changes and restructures and reductions in organisations, that people are more understanding and open-minded of just how often this kind of stuff actually does happen. So I like to think that it's not something that that penalises the individual in any way. And certainly um, a lot of people that I speak to and even my own experience with it, more more often than not, when you then speak to people a couple of months later, they are like, that was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. It was terrifying at the time. It was unexpected. My confidence took a hit. But a lot of the time people like, do you know what? Maybe it was the push I needed for me to move to whatever the next right thing is for me. But you're spot on. I think both of those situations, whether it's like a toxic environment and the hit that somebody's taken, they might not have even realised how much of a hit they've taken in that environment. You just get so used to it or worn down over time. That's sort of one space and needs a certain kind of support. And then the other space around like redundancy and what does that mean for me and how do I navigate all of that is, a, is another space again. But I think pro, my advice to people would just be either of those scenarios, like 
proactively go out and seek support for yourself because trying to trying to navigate all of that alone or with some of the voices that are still inside the organization that are biased and a bit clouded are probably not the best support structures for you. Uh, the, I'm so glad you said that about seeking out voices outside of the organization because I think that's where you get the ob- objectivity in and yeah. when we when it comes to work we get subjective because we're we're financially invested, we're emotionally invested, we we blood spend forty plus hours a week there, so it's natural that our position gets skewed a bit. So get external voices, be that a career coach, be that, you know, I mean, I've I've talked to psychologists about my stuff at work, you know, that's like, yeah. and I'm a big advocate of like get the help that you need, and. Some of the best advice I've had about my relationship with work has been from psychologists who've told me, gee, that's a bit weird what you're doing there, but, <laughs> you know, I uh, love a good overshare, so there we go. That's that one for today's episode. Um, <laughs> next question. This one, oh, this is so good. I'm so glad you're here for this and I'm going to throw it to you. This is a boundaries question and we love, you know, one of our all-time most listened to podcasts was on how to set healthy boundaries at work. And I think this is so live for everyone. So this is from Sophie. Sophie says, how do you find the balance between setting boundaries with a new workplace about working additional hours without coming off as a bit of a slacker? Mm, that is a t- oh, there's so many layers to this question. I think I always, oft- I often like to remind myself that we train people how to treat us. And so particularly when you're new inside an organisation, it's obviously really tempting to want to prove yourself, you want to get in, you want to kick ass, you want to show everybody that you're, you know, the value that you add and, and that I get that completely. But what can sometimes come with that is that then we we set unrealistic expectations for others of us by the way that we show up and kind of then don't have boundaries you know it's the little it's the little things sometimes like I used to be terrible for this like I'd get an email at 10 o'clock at night from my CEO wasn't even that important and yet I'd still respond because I wanted to prove like I added value when I was the hardest worker, et cetera. And before you know it, what ends up happening is you've normalised the lack of boundaries in your life and between your life and work for yourself and for everybody else too. And so then it just becomes okay for, for them to expect that of you. So I kind of then circle back to that whole we train people how to treat us and one of the best opportunities that you also have when you join an organisation or you move into a new team or a new role or whatever it might be is to reset those boundaries to benefit yourself and to kind of teach others as well. And sometimes the best thing that you can do if you're sitting there thinking, you know, but how do I do that? One of the best things you can do when you get emails from people asking you to do something is actually just ask the question, like, when do you need this by? Like, what is the urgency around this? Because often we just get emails from people and they've just forwarded them on saying, oh, can you help with this? And we're like, oh, my God, I've got to get this done right now. And so then you do and they're like, oh, wow, that was quick. I didn't need it till next week. 
And then you're like, ah, like I sat back after work and I did this or I worked last night to get it done when it was never, never needed anyway. But our lack of boundaries or feeling like we, we're maybe not asking the right questions kind of leads us to think we have to. So I think there's opportunity in managing boundaries a little bit better between your work and your life, et cetera, to, to get really intentional about the questions that you ask people around the projects that they give you, the deliverables, et cetera, because you're doing two things. You're helping yourself and you're also kind of, again, you're training them on how to treat you. And eventually what will happen, whatever you're asked to help with something or get involved in a project, they'll get to the point where they just start giving you all of that information up front, which then naturally allows you to manage yourself and your boundaries a little bit better. That's what do you think, Shell? I think that's such good advice around just asking the question and you can do that. Yeah, no worries. would love to help you on this. When do you need it by? And if they come back and they say, I need it by tonight and you've got a thing on tonight and you're meant to finish at five o'clock, then we go back and we say, I've actually got something on tonight. I'm not going to be able to do that, but I can get it to you by this point. Or you say, hey, in order for me to meet your timeline, I'm going to have to stop working on this. Is that a priority. And you're putting that back to them to go, okay, cool. Yeah, no worries. Actually, I want you to drop what you're doing to get this done by end of day. But just the clarifying questions can really shift the dynamic. You can still do it in a really respectful way because I know when we're new, we want to show up in a way that demonstrates that we're really helpful, that we've got really big initiative and drive. And so all those things matter. But I think the big challenge for us is knowing how to talk about boundaries because, you know, like it's really difficult in any scenario, whether you're new or you've been there for ages, it's really difficult to have conversations around what are the expectations with working outside hours? Like when you email me at nine at night, is the expectation that I respond or is it that that's just how you work? But like there's just, it's so many unspoken things that we need to bring up to the surface. So all that unspoken stuff, Mm -hmm. we need to bring that up to the surface and go, cool, how do we clarify what are the expectations here? And you have a big role to play in that. And uh, there's some phrases we used on a previous episode. And in our book, Sort Your Career Out, we talk a lot about this boundaries conversation. I think having the phrases, like those go-to things of, I'd love to know when you need this by. I'm actually working on... I'm working to this deadline for this project right now. Is this particular issue more important than that? Or if it's a peer, this can be hard when it's a peer relationship because when it's your boss, you kind of can clarify those things really easily. But if it's someone else coming to you and you're a people pleaser, and I think the people pleasers are listening will be like, this is me, I'm, I'm, I'm this person. <laughs> Wait, you're always trying to please everyone, but in the end you're – exhausted. You're working all these crazy hours. So how do we have those phrases up our sleeve that help us to kind of navigate those tough conversations? So go back and listen to that previous episode. But are there any other go-to phrases that you have, Claire, that can help people in the boundaries convo? Yeah, I I often like the yes, no reason, yes kind of framework when it comes to boundaries. So like particularly with a peer, let's just say, I don't know, let's just say you've got somebody who's like sent you a report that they need your help with and perhaps they've sent you this report a number of times and you've already spent some time with them on this report helping them, but they've sent it to you again and saying, you know, can you cast your eyes over this? 
and you don't have the time. I, I like the yes, no, reason, yes framework, particularly for people pleasers and kind of what that looks like. Yes being you say what you can do, right? So say you actually can't help them right then and there. You don't have the time. You've got another commitment. You've got somewhere to go. Say what you can do first because I find that people pleasers in particular, it's saying the word no that we struggle with because we feel like we're letting people down or we're disappointing people and we don't want to do that. And so where when we say first what we can do, right, so you might say something like, I can help you with this tomorrow at two. I can't review it now because I've got some other deadlines to meet. Let me know, though, if two o'clock works for you and I'll swing by your desk. So what we're doing there is the yes, what I can do, the no, what I can't do, which is drop everything right now to help why I can't do it, but then I'm reminding you again of how I am actually able to support you. I do find that a helpful thing to consider when it comes to kind of challenging and dipping your toe in the water of boundaries, particularly if it's something that that you're not comfortable with. Because what often happens as well, again, particularly, I don't want to keep hanging on the people pleasers, but I am one, which is why I know this feeling, is we are often I kind of call it like we're externally compliant, but we internally rage, meaning someone will be like, can you help me with this? And would like drop everything to do it. Yep, no worries, not a problem. But then on the inside, we're like, I hate you so much. I don't have time for this. (laughs) Because we don't, no problem though. (laughs) But on the inside, we are so frustrated and annoyed and we ultimately end up frustrated and annoyed at ourselves because we weren't able to hold the boundary. So I I think that that yes, no reason, yes framework is quite a helpful one. Oh, I I love that. The externally compliant, internally raging. That's so, (laughs) I can, I can, I like just think everyone's nodding along going, this is me. Um, The other thing I think, it's kind of that Brene Brown quote, like you choose discomfort over resentment. But when you go into people-pleasing mode, there's that internal resentment of this person is really annoying me, but I'm not going to go to the discomfort of saying, no, I actually don't have time to do that. And you know what? I think I love that framework. I love the tools of yes, no, and then like the reason and then getting back to the yes. Like I think that's really helpful for us to have those phrases and the tools for how do we have the tricky conversation still be helpful. But, and I mean, there's other times where you're just going to have to say no <laughs> too. Like there's other times that, um, but I think the easing into it, like building, again, we talked about building the courage muscle, it's building the the muscle. So maybe you're not at the point where you just go, you know what, no, I can't do that right now at full stop. But you can use this tool to work up to the points because there'll be some times where you just need to go, it's just not possible. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. And so maybe what you can do in that situation, if you still kind of want to be helpful, is then just point them in the right direction of who else might be able to help them or a resource they could use as well. So that's kind of like no Google reason. it. Here's help. <laughs> <laughs> just chat GPT and, you know, you'll yeah, sort it out. Yeah. <laughs> All the best. Um, love it. <laughs> We're going to go to a quick break and when we come back, I've got some bangers for us to bring this home. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, 
or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, next question. This is from an anonymous person. Would you disclose intending to do IVF in a job interview? I feel I need to advise as I travel four hours round trip for some appointments and it affects my job, causing me to use up my sick leave. But on the flip side, I'm scared that it would hinder my prospect of getting a job similar to the current one closer to home. Oof, that is a toughie. And firstly, I want to say to this person, I see you, I am you, and I know how tough that process is alone, like forgetting the incredible four-hour drive you're having to do, just even the emotional toll, the mental toll and the challenge of that and trying to juggle work is incredibly difficult in itself. So power to you. I think this is a toughie and I'd love to say, I'd love to say that you could and you should be able to say that in in an interview or say that to a prospective manager and know that that it will be okay. Unfortunately, I don't know yet if we're in a world where that's easy enough to do and know that you'll come out the other side and it won't have impacted you. So my, I think my guidance around that would be is perhaps just ask the question more broadly around the flexibility policies that they have. And perhaps don't even ask it from a perspective of, of like, are you flexible? Ask it from the perspective like, the assumption is that you are. What are, and, and I mean, seriously, like employers that are still not embracing flexibility, like that is just still beyond me. That is going to come back and bite you in the ass, something out of this world if you don't get that sorted. But I'll get off that soapbox now. And so perhaps you might be better to ask a question more, more broadly around what are the flexibility practices here, you, you know, and how do we how do we manage kind of our, our, our work? Is it, are we quite open here in terms of it's really just about the deliverables, you know, and how do I kind of juggle any life commitments that I might have as well as my work deliverables? And then just see what they say, because that's probably going to give you a lot of insight into what the real culture at play is there and what the real practices are around flexibility, which might then tell you everything you need to know around whether they would be supportive of what you're going through and then therefore whether you feel like that is the right place for you. I'm so glad you said that and I know like and thanks for even giving us a bit of the insight of you Claire like your understanding of this journey and it does 
It is really upsetting to think about this person's particular story and going, mm. I'm just so with you on it. I wish we could have the confidence that you could go into an interview and, and be super open and vulnerable and say, this is where I'm at. This is a priority for me. I'm also super driven in my career and I can do absolutely both things at the same time. You're speaking to the unconscious bias that exists and it's just, it, it just sucks. Like there's no other way to just, it just sucks that there is this bias that still exists. I think we need to know when we're speaking really vulnerably and openly, is this a safe space? Like, is this space that I'm speaking in safe? And I think there'll be times where you see that and you can go, you know, what? I, I think this environment is a really safe space. And in those contexts, if, you, if you're kind of picking up on that, they're the types of workplaces you want to work in, right? Like they're the environments you want to be in. But I think what you're talk, speaking to there is so spot on that we're not, we're not there and there is still such an underlying bias. Like I was listening to someone tell their story the other day of being asked in an interview when they planned on having kids. And I just find, I just find that stuff just to say, is that even, does that, is that like, is that like true? Did that happen? Like I'm like, it baffles me to think about it. But, and so I get, I just think this is just such a challenging space. I love your advice around, okay, well, what do you do? Because you still need to kind of get a sense of, is it going to be, okay, if you're doing those four-hour trips, what, how is that going to impact? And, and so having a broader question around, and you could even get specific, like you might use a specific example. So you might say, I like to go to my niece and nephew's school assemblies. How does that go here? Is that like something that you guys do in terms of family-friendly policies? And just actually having an example and testing it and seeing what they say, oh yeah, totally. We like, you know, one of the things we love here is we love our employees to make sure they make a priority of going to family events. And you're like, cool, this is a safe space. Or if they come back and go, oh yeah, that's fine. You'll just have to make sure that you log your leave hours for that. Well, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is maybe an hours-based workplace, not an outcomes-based workplace. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and, you, and to exactly to your point, like ask them for examples of where you know, if they if they drop the line of oh yes, we've got we've, we do have policies here around flexibility. Okay, that's not enough. That does not give me enough information. That might be then to your point, like where you ask that broader question around, like oh, like what are some of the examples of the ways people use it? What do you see works? Um, what do you do yourselves? Right, like the interviewer and probably a hiring manager in there. Actually, ask them like how do you utilize it for your lives because that also then gives you that kind of info around like walking the talk and does management walk the talk as well and then therefore make it easier for other people. But it's a it's a really tough space and I'd love to be able to say with confidence that that you could say that and we should be able to. But I just I I don't think we're there yet. I'd like to think that we will be in years to come, but I don't think we are yet. Tough situations. Thank you for sharing. I think your advice is so helpful for this listener. Okay, next question. Where are we going next? It's like, you know, a, a discovery <laughs> a discovery voyage. Where am I going to take us? Okay, oh, this is a good one. How did you know it was time to change careers? Is it a matter of when you know you know? Mm. I, I personally, I personally am, 
in my last corporate role. So like my last corporate role was basically how I, I left that and, and then went full-time into my own business. And I don't, I didn't make the decision to start my own business because I hated my job. So I, and I don't, I don't think I've ever had a job where I've kind of gone, I can't do this anymore. But I, but what I have had is those moments of, I'm not dissatisfied, but I'm not totally vibing either, you know? And I, and so what I've done in those situations which has ultimately ended up kind of being the catalyst for me to make that next decision, is I've asked those questions around like, on average, are my good days still outweighing my bad days? And when I'm having my good days, what are the kinds of things that I'm doing? And then when I'm having my bad days, what are the kinds of things that I'm doing? And that's helpful because that also gives you data and insights for what the right next step for you might be. But I think, I don't know if I think when you know, you know, but I but I do think you get a series of signs that then help you just start getting curious, more curious about why. Because then the bigger question with this one, I think that's important to consider too, is, is it, is it the job or is it the career? You know, is it like, is that you're like thinking the same thing? Like, yeah, yeah. Is, it the, is it the job that I'm doing right now that I'm, that I'm, it's just not fulfilling me in the same way that it used to? Or actually, is it the career pathway that I'm on and it's totally time for a transition? Because those are two, two different ways of doing things. And that's where I do think that it's important to ask those questions around when I'm having my good days, what am I doing? When I'm having my bad days, what am I doing? And then particularly when you look at the bad days and you look at all the things there that you're doing that annoy you, then you can get more granular again and you can ask, well, are they to do with just this specific job or just this specific organisation or is it a deeper level and it's actually that I'm just no longer lit up in general by this stuff? And that gives you a lot of information there about where you're at and what that next step for you might be. Like you're smiling as I'm, I'm talking. I'm all smiling because I'm like <laughs> nodding along and I'm like, yes, 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 this is so good. I think like an example would be like, let's say you're an accountant and you you do that assessment of your day and you work out, okay, how many good days am I having versus bad days? Okay, so I'm having a lot of bad days. Okay, what's happening on those bad days? What's that, what, what is the problem that's occurring? Because the problem might be, on those days that you're having bad days, it's, it's actually the culture, the environment, your boss. And that's something that you go, well, that's not about the career. That's about the environment and the actual job that I'm doing. If I move elsewhere, I may not have that problem. Or you're like, I hate spreadsheets. I hate numbers. I actually am terrible at maths and I don't care about the financial performance of the business. Well, maybe that's a career change because that's like <laughs> core to the actual career you've chosen. Um, so we need to look at, okay, cool. What is that? And diagnose the exact problem. So if you think about yourself as a GP, you're a doctor, you're diagnosing the problem. You need to ask a lot of questions. You need to dig into what's happening before you make any moves. Cause I think you're right. We don't do enough. Of, it's not when you know, you know, we have to do the self-reflection to figure out the problem first. The, like before I'd make a career change, I would absolutely encourage anyone look for other jobs like just start there like if you've invested heaps like 
and you're realizing I'm, I'm having a bad day consistently, try something new first in, a, in the same field before you think I have to throw the whole thing out and start over because I think sometimes it is about the environment we're in. The other signs for me, the signs that it's time to have a career change would look like having low energy levels consistently. So you're not energized by the work that you're doing and that's a consistent theme and has been for quite a long time. So I'm not talking like three months. I'm talking like longer than that. Like it's not a stint. It's like for an extended period of time, I've had low energy levels about this work, job and, and career. The next thing would be you don't get to use your strengths. So you're not using your strengths at work and you know what those strengths are, but then you look at the, the job and the career and you're like, those things don't align. The next thing would be, am I learning and growing? If you're not learning and growing at all and you don't, you, there are, you've fully mastered it and you're like, there are no growth opportunities, which is, you know, that's kind of rare, like if you think about it. But let's say that is where you're at. You've been doing it for a really long time and you're like, I've, I've capped out. That might be a sign it's time for a change. And then the last thing is there's no healthy challenge. There's just no, no healthy challenge. Those to me are some of the signs that it's time for a career change, that you might be at that crossroads moment where, okay, we need to look at something else. If you kind of do that assessment and you see that those things are all themes for you and they have been for a while, then this might be the moment where you start to test out some stuff. Like, and I think people get stumped with career changes, Claire, because we feel like we have to know exactly what we need to do next. Absolutely. And we freak out and then we kind of paralyze ourselves. And that, if we're looking at it that way, it's totally scary. So it's a huge move with so many things involved that we kind of feel like if we, um, you know, got one hand on one monkey bar, one hand ready to reach out for the next one. But if I don't know exactly what that looks like, I don't want to, so I don't. Whereas those kind of small steps, the introspective work, the diagnosing, the, you know, maybe I do give like another job in another organisation a try. Maybe I can change up some of the tasks I'm doing. Maybe it's actually time for a new, like a stretch opportunity. Maybe I'm unfulfilled, I'm, I've got low energy or... I'm not feeling challenged because maybe I've actually just been doing this level of work for too long. So maybe I I still might sit in the same career, but maybe I'm ready for like a promotion in a different organisation and a new challenge. So I think it's worth reflecting on all of those things and then deciding like what is the one sort of next step that you can take for yourself to help you get just more information. Like, you know, information is power, information about yourself is power and then you feel a little bit more empowered to make and take that next step. All right, we've got time for one final question and this is a good one. It's quite broad, so interpret this as you will, Claire. What advice would you give to your past self? So having had this career journey, this career experience, what advice would you give or what things would you do differently, Claire? So many things. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing, I would have never got bangs, but that's another story for today. (laughs) They all, you always regret them, don't you? Always regret bangs. Look, I think two I think two that come to mind for me, and there really are many, the first is I wouldn't have taken myself so seriously and I get that that is easier said than done and I've even had that advice, you know, before from people and I've been like, oh, go away. <laughs> but I look back now 
And I really took in trying to work so hard and to prove myself so much. I think I just took myself way too seriously. And I took away the fun from myself and probably a lot of fulfillment and learning from myself because I was so worried about just having it all together all the time. And I'm very professional and very important. And things are so much more fun when you are just yourself. And I still mean, yes, you need to be professional, but you can be yourself and still be professional. So I think that's probably the first one. The second one is that relationships are key, Mm. not just performance. Career success equals relationship currency plus performance currency. And I that for me is something I wish I could go back and have learned that lesson earlier. I spent all of my time just working harder, 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 taking on more and more and more and more and more, missing out on opportunities for the work, hoping someone would notice. When in actual fact, to really thrive in organisations, in your career in general, you have to balance the relationship currency and the performance wow. currency. And that, that for me is probably like one of the biggest things I go back and tell myself. That is so, so spot on about the relationships. Like we really underestimate the impact that those have on our career and also just our enjoyment of work. Like if we have good relationships, we are going to enjoy the work way more than just purely focusing on performance outcomes output. For me, to wrap this bad boy up, the one thing that I would give advice on to my previous self my and to anyone listening is do the thing before you're ready. Mm, do the thing, that. like be bold. Like I just, every time I've had a career win, it's when I've done the thing way before I <laughs> felt that I could do it every time. And, and it's like, oh, I feel completely incompetent, but I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing like, and, and I'm going to trust that I can learn it. So I want you to know, be bold, do the thing before you're ready, build the relationships as Claire said, this has been such a good conversation, Claire, and I know you're going to, you know, just jump back on and co-host with me anytime, please. Oh, I love it. Anytime I would be more than happy to. These are great questions and it's so fabulous that your listeners feel safe enough to be able to reach out and ask this stuff too. I think that's a testament to you and the podcast. Thank you so much. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Uh, best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Claire Sieber, or you can find me on Instagram at eating your cake too. Amazing. Thanks so much for hanging out. And if you enjoy the show, share this with a friend and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Thanks heaps. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.